All right, thanks guys. Uh, if you've got your Bible, go to Psalm chapter 32. We are in our final week of our reboot series here at Emmanuel. We've been uh, talking about this for the past month, really kind of looking at times in our life where we feel like we're stuck and we feel like we're not really growing spiritually. And I think this is kind of the best time of the year to talk about these things. We're kind of moving and transitioning from our summer schedule into a fall schedule. Uh, we're trying to maybe get in, um, uh, out of the hustle and bustle of summer and into the craziness of what is supposed to be a little bit more structured schedule in fall. Um, normally is a time that we can analyze and take a deep breath and kind of just kind of get our feet underneath us again. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we got to do this now because uh, if you've been to Hobby Lobby, Christmas decorations are out. And so we've got to get ourselves centered now so that we can get into that later, right? We're, it's, it's coming. I feel like it's like this ominous. They should ring a bell or something, right, And when they put that stuff out so that we know uh, it's, it's out again. So here's what I hope. I hope that uh, if you're in one of these spiritual droughts, if you're in one of these spiritual ruts, that you seize this opportunity to kind of, uh, kind of just... Uh, analyze, kind of do some self-analyzation and try to figure out what's going on in your life. And, and Because the, the reality is, is the only other opportunity you have is just to stay stuck, right? And if we just stay stuck, then one of two things happens. I believe the enemy tries to convince you that, uh, that the rut doesn't matter, right? You can just... You can be in a rut, and spiritual things are not that important anyway. Maybe you've missed X number of Sundays, and, and that's not a big deal anyway. And if those aren't a big deal, then nothing else is really a big deal. If you haven't read your Bible, it's not a big deal. And it just kind of puts you in that moment of, it's okay, it doesn't really matter. Or the enemy tries to tell you uh, that you're a horrible, rotten person. He shames you for how could you, right? How could you miss this? How could you not uh, do what you know you're supposed to do? God's going to be disappointed in you. Uh, you can't go back now because if you go back now, what's God going to think, right? And, and we kind of have guilt over all these missed opportunities and condemnation over our mistakes and an overall feeling of worthlessness when it comes to all things that are spiritual. And if you don't hear anything through all of this, please hear this, that the enemy is a liar, right? He, he wants you to feel like they're not a big deal because he knows that they are a big deal. He wants you to feel like you're not worthy because he knows that you are worthy. And God does not work, I say this and I said it before, God does not deal in the currency of guilt and shame. He doesn't. He convicts us, but he never condemns us. He never points a finger at us and says, how could you? He always lends a hand to us and says, I'll help you, right? And so that's a very important thing to remember when uh, we think about doing a reboot. When we feel like we're spiritually distant from God, we need to kind of just get back on track. And last week we looked at uh, unplugging, uh, kind of our practical application of unplugging, how we should be turning off some things and listening to the right voice and all that kind of stuff. We looked at Jesus the week before and how he did that on a number of different occasions. The Bible says that he often withdrew to lonely places uh, to pray. Uh, and then uh, we started it just a, a three short weeks ago uh, and, and kind of gave you some foundational work. So uh, I want to wrap this up this week looking at this reboot process play out in Scripture through, through this one beautiful psalm, Psalm 32. And so I don't have any points on the screen this morning. I just have Scripture on the screen because the Scripture is going to be our outline. As we work through this, you're going to see how this just connects so uh, wonderfully to the thought that we've been developing over the last couple of weeks. And so if you've got it, I want you to follow along with me. This is the Psalm of David. We don't necessarily know exactly when it was written. There's some speculation. We have some hints, but we don't have a date on, on this one. But I do believe it speaks to the heart of our issue. So let's read together. Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Two says this, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose spirit is no deceit. I'm about to hurt somebody's feelings. Because in every marriage, there is one person that when they get sick, they just carry on with life as normal. Right? They, they still get up and they go to work or they do whatever they got to do. They, they operate and, and manage things like they should and normally do. They're just sick. And then there's the husband, right? Because the husband acts like he's dying and he has a sign. And like, you, the wife, like we all laugh because we know it's true. Uh, the wives are like, yeah, I had that last week and you didn't do anything. And he's in bed and, like, and he's like uh, literally just, I need soup. And like, I always, this is one of the weird things about me. I always, uh, I always want uh, orange sherbet push pops if I've been like sick. Like Flintstones push pops from the 80s when I was a kid. That's what I crave and desire. My wife is fantastic. She always find them somewhere. And so I, I sit around and mope. I like it's just we know it's true, right? Because we're dying and the other ones are 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 just kind of operating on normal speed. And here's the reason why I say this because I think I'm a little weird anyway. Um, when I'm sick, I sit around and think about how I felt when I wasn't sick. Like I sit around and think, oh man, I used to feel so good. Like I don't feel good anymore. I remember being able to eat whatever I wanted to eat and not feel sick afterwards. I remember how, and I, I kind of like analyzed like how, how much I took feeling well for granted, right? It's like I was so selfish when I felt so good and now I feel so awful and I just kind of get in this ball of wallow and, and, and self-pity, right? Because I, I kind of look back on how great it was. This is the same feeling as verses 1 and 2. When we read it, it's like, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And, and it's like, oh, I remember what that feels like, right? I remember what it, it feels like to live in the middle of what God wants for me. I remember this peace that I took for granted, right? Oh, it was just so great when all my sin was, was already forgiven. It's just remembering and knowing what you had taken for granted. And I think there's some of us Listen, who, who know that we're in a rut, and we know that we're distant from God, and we know what it feels like, we, we, we long for and we desire those feelings of close relationship with God, and we think back to when things were good, and we were doing everything that we were supposed to be doing, and we were on fire, and we were living right, and we want that feeling again. These verses in the Message Bible, I put on the screen because I think it's just, you know, sometimes he just puts those things uh, in a real unique perspective. It says this, count yourself lucky, how happy you must be. You get a fresh start, your slate's wiped clean. Count yourself lucky. God holds nothing against you and you're holding nothing back from him. I love that, right? Isn't that so wonderful? He's holding nothing against you and you're holding nothing back. It's this, man, must be nice kind of thought. Remember when it felt like that? Keep reading, verse 3. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I feel like each of us could read these verses and just go, yeah, man, I've been there, done that, right? You know how that heavy hand of God feels. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. And this this rut, and I know I'm here, and I'm distant from God, and it feels like no matter what I do, I just can't get out of it. 
that heavy hand is such a great analogy because we've all felt it. Right? We've, we've been in the middle of disobedience, the middle of distance, and like, like he's still there. And like you can just feel like this presence, this heavy presence knowing, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this. I know I'm not supposed to be living like that. It, it's, it's not a, like I said earlier, it's not a condemnation. It's just this heaviness of you know right and wrong. You know the rut you're in. And sometimes that heaviness is a good thing, right? We just feel like, wow, this is incredible. This is, this is exactly what I want in this moment. I want God's presence to be with me. I want to feel him. I want to know that he's there and he hasn't abandoned me. But other times, it's just, it's just heavy. I've told this story in here before, and uh, I, I, it's, it's such a perfect. I, we were living, Jess and I were living over in the Pine Street house over here. Uh, the boys were little, little, like um, maybe three, five uh, at four, six years old, something like that. They were a little uh, uh, active and all over the place. And Jessica had this, uh, Jessica had this blue vase that was just out. You know, it's one of those things that women put out that men don't know why it's there. Uh, it's just out to look good. Doesn't have we don't have we don't do anything with it. It was on the bottom shelf of a like a coffee station that we had, and uh, and it had been there for I don't know how long. And and one day Jessica was like rearranging some things and, and, and cleaning out some things and doing something. And she came and got me. She's like, I need you to come here. And I was like, okay. And so she walks me over to the vase and she says, look inside. And I look inside. And when I say full, I'm talking like full of empty candy wrappers. Like little mini Snickers bars, little mini Reese's bars, whatever, fruit snacks wrappers that someone had been eating and then putting in there so that we didn't see them in the trash can. And I just, I just cracked up because immediately we knew. We knew exactly who had done it. Like there was no doubt in our mind. And so we just picked up the vase. And the boys were playing back in one of the back bedrooms. And we walked into the bedroom. And we just held up the vase. And instantly Jax just started bawling like he just started crying he's like oh like he knew he was caught and like we didn't even get on to him like it was so funny in the moment but like he knew the hand the heavy hand of the Lord was on him right like it was just all over him he just knew that in that moment he had been like busted right and so, like, sometimes we feel that way. It's like, it's almost like we're doing life and we're kind of living like we know that we're not supposed to. And, and, we, and we almost, almost turn it as, a, I, if God really wanted me, he would. Or if he really wanted to protect me, why did he let me get in this position? And then, and then all of a sudden, like, this heavy hand just lays on you. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know better. I know that what I'm doing now is not what I'm supposed to be doing. I know how I'm living now and how I'm, how I'm living my life and the decisions that I'm making and all these kind of things. We, we know we're in a rut. I said last week, many of us know exactly what God wants for us to do. We're just not doing it. Like we're choosing to be passive and we're choosing to be disobedient. And you're in this rut and you're choosing to stay there. You know how to get out. You know, you know what the process is, but you're just unwilling to actually put action to your faith. And if we're using this verse, then I would say that God's hand is heavy, but you're just trying to ignore it. All the while knowing 
Knowing that there's freedom that comes with obedience. Knowing that, that the deep breath that comes with living with what God wants for us and how, how that feels, like verse 1 and 2 says, you know, how, that, how that forgiveness feels, we know all that. We know that there's freedom. And when we get out of the rut, we have this wide open place. Right? We know that the Bible says in John 10, 10, that Jesus is talking. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that you have life. And have it abundantly. Like, I have it to the fullest. John 8, 36 says, If the Son sets you free, then you're free indeed. We know all those things. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. We, we know and we feel this heaviness. And it's not a heavy hand of shame. It's not. God doesn't deal in currency of shame and guilt, right? We know that. It's just a heavy hand of presence, of assurance, of conviction. It's kind of drawing us back. Man, we need to feel that. I think a lot of us need to respond to that. Verse 5. Then... I acknowledged my sin to you. After the heavy hand, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love this because like this is, this is textbook 101. You want to know how to get out of the rut? It starts by acknowledging the sin that got you there to begin with. It's just a simple acknowledgement. It's a simple confession and I know some of you are thinking, oh, hang on, Matt, because you said on week one, and you've said it a couple times, that maybe we're in this rut not because we did anything wrong, we're just not doing anything at all. And you're right. But let's also call that what it is. It's apathy and it's complacency, right? We're in the rut because we're choosing to be there. We're in the rut because we're not wanting to put the effort into getting out of it. It's this lack of desire to deepen our relationship with Jesus. a mindset of either I've got enough of Jesus or I've done enough for Jesus. I'll just stay right here. For most of us, we want Jesus to pursue us instead of us pursuing him. And that church is the reason why we're in the ruts that we're in. And we're just going to call it what it is. Acknowledge our sin. Quit trying to cover up our iniquity. I think it's incredible that we as finite human beings think that we can hide things from an infinite God. right? That we think that we can, we can say, oh God, I'm completely yours, just don't look back here. Or I'm going to do everything that you want me to do except for that. I'm not going to do that. Just don't pretend like, just pretend like that doesn't even happen, right? I always go back to Job in those situations. Those of you who, who went through our study on Job, I preached in Job uh, before a long time ago and talked about how when, when Job lost everything, right? You guys remember this. He lost his children. He lost his possessions. He lost his fortune. His wife came to him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Like, right? Thanks, honey. Um, and, and, and his friends came and tried to give advice, and it wasn't great advice. And Job kind of gets on this little bit of a rant in the middle of, uh, of the book. And it's, a, it's, it's always considered a holy rant. He's not, he's not mad at God, but he is questioning God. And all, basically saying, after all that I've done, after all how obedient I've been, how, how could you, right? All the questions that we ask. 
And then finally, God has enough. And in Job 38, uh, verse 2 and 3, it's on the screen. It says, he looks at, at Job and says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. And for like three chapters, God goes through this whole list of where were you when I laid the foundations of it? Where were you when I put the starry hosts in their place? Where were you when I told the waters you could go only so far? Surely you know. Surely you have the answer. Where were And he just keeps going and going and going for chapters. And then finally, in chapter 42, uh, Job responds back to God. And he says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not know. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Verse 5, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, I believe Job's perception of God was too small. And God had to remind him just how big God was and just how small Job was. And I think on some level we do the same thing. Like over and over again, we, we think that we can hide things from God. We think that we can conceal things from him. And we're just playing this game. We're, we're kind of running this race thinking that, God, you know, we can do all this. And I know that you, uh, you are before all things and you hold all things together. That's what the Bible says. But, but this don't worry about. This is just mine. I'm going to hide this. It doesn't even make sense when we say it out loud because we know logically it doesn't make any sense. But in the middle of it, we think, well, I can just choose to be here and it's not a big deal. The biggest thing that we can do for our reboot is simply acknowledge our sin because God knows it anyway. Just bring it into the open. Call it what it is and then begin to deal with it. I think for a lot of us, too many of us are afraid to just say it. Like we live in this culture that, oh, can I just, I'm going to stand over here so I'm not standing where I normally preach. <laughs> we live in a culture where I get so frustrated at top stop signs. I do. Four-way stop signs and warn, it's like we need a class. We need to teach everybody how to use them. Because what we do is we're so gracious and we're so kind. We get there and then we wave that person on and then they wave us on and then they wave us back on and everybody just sits there waiting for somebody to go. I'm like, go, just go. If I flash my lights at you, if I wave you on, don't wave me on, just go. Right? Because nobody wants to just, nobody wants to just, okay, I'll, I'll I'll go. And we do the same thing. We, we do the same thing when it comes to like, well, I, I'm just going to be nice and I'm not going to really acknowledge what's really going on and I'm not going to really say the hard things and I'm not going to really hit people with truth. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be gracious. I'm just going to wave them on. I'm just going to let them go. And sometimes I believe, church, sometimes we do that to our fault where we in our own selves do it to ourselves and we don't just acknowledge what's going on. Okay, God, my life is falling apart and my marriage is in the tank. And our finances are upside down. And I don't know what to do about this. When did it become so wrong just to be honest with God? Because he knows it anyway. God, I am wrapped up in the middle of this sin. God, I can't figure my way out of this. I don't know what to do next. Instead, we just play this passive game of like we're just waving God on through the intersection. It's okay. I'll figure this out. Don't worry, don't worry about this over here. I've got it. When did it become so wrong just acknowledging our sin? 
and say, you know what, I just need help with this. I can't do it. I can't figure it out. We've got to bring it out in the open because what did it say? I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me. You forgave the guilt of my sin. So, so this is what it tells us. Compa- confession leads to forgiveness. Right? It's, it's, it's the heavy hand that comes off of us. It's the right relationship reestablished. It's this reboot and fresh start and confess and he forgives. It's what we want. That's what this whole series is about. When we just confess it and he forgives us. Why in the world? Why would we not ever choose to live in a spiritual rut when we can live and exchange that for forgiveness? All we've got to do is just confess. The exchange rate of confession and forgiveness is in our favor, right? We, we confess he forgives. It's, it's weighted in our favor. I was talking to somebody this week about my time in Africa that I spent years ago. And I was talking about, he's talking about he'd never been out, out of the country. And I was like, man, it's great. And, you know, we've done all these mission trips, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was thinking about uh, being in Africa. We were there for three weeks. Africa, Africa hot in the middle of June, three weeks. And, and the only thing to drink that tasted good was a glass bottled orange Fanta. And they had an ice box. They didn't have a refrigerator. They had a big block of ice in a, in a box. And so, they, and, and so when we first got there, they're all drinking hot tea and hot milk. And I'm like, I can't do that, man. It's, it's 1,000 degrees out here. And so the only thing that tastes good was that glass bottle of orange Fanta. And I told them, how much, how much is that? Can you get them? And they were like, yes. And I said, how much? And they kind of winced for a minute. And they went, well, for you, not very expensive. And I said, okay. And he said, 10 cents each? I looked at the dude, and I handed him a $20 bill. I said, buy as many as you can, and when we run out, I'll buy more. Give them to everybody you know. I don't care. It's 10 cents a bottle. I drank more orange fontas in that three weeks in Africa than I've ever drank in my life. Why? Because the exchange rate was in my favor. It was, it was hot. We walked, we walked literally 30 to 40 miles a day in the middle of these little bush communities going all over the place, come back and I would down orange fontas like they were going out of style, right? Because it didn't matter. It was cheap. It didn't, it, it wasn't, it was in my favor. And yes, I say fanta because that's how the Africans say it, okay? It's not fanta like we South Arkansas say That's Listen, eternity is in the balance, And it's in the balance in your favor. You confess and he forgives. He's paid the price for our forgiveness. The exchange rate here is in our favor. Why would we ever choose to live in the rut? Why would we ever choose to live spiritually distant from God when it's in our favor to confess and acknowledge and repent and he forgives? We've got to call sin what it is. We've got to quit playing games with God and bringing meaningless offerings to Him. We've got to quit living one way outside of the church and pretending to live another way inside the church. We've got to stop hoping that someone else invests in your kids or in your marriage and start doing it ourselves. We've got to stop making excuses for our disobedience. We've got to stop giving in to addictions and then blaming God for us having those addictions. We've got to stop flirting with sin or flirting to sin with someone and we've got to confess and receive this forgiveness that we so desperately 
desperately need. It's in our favor. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while, they, while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. <laughs> this is says because of this forgiveness, everyone should pray to you. Like because of this exchange rate, this should be in the mouth of every person that we know. Why wouldn't they? Let, let confession come while you may be found. That's an important delimitation. Because the Bible talks about over and over again, our life is just a mist and a vapor. We're here for just a little while and then we vanish. We have a short amount of time to make a decision about who Jesus is. Because once we die, that decision has been made. And no, listen, no decision is a decision, right? We should be praying this while he may be found. This is right now. And now, when we keep reading... Did you hear the, the change in verse 6 and 7 from verse 3 and 4? Before it was heavy, groaning, wasting away. And now after forgiveness, it's protection, provision, deliverance. This is what we're asking for. This is, this is what life is supposed to be about. This is the reboot that we're wanting. And this is what God does. And I love that, that David in the psalm doesn't say that, that it's all going to be easy. Right? He says, when the waters rise, or you're going to protect me from trouble, like that stuff still comes. Life, life still comes at us. It's not this, oh, confess and repent, and everything's rose-colored glass. No, it's like life still happens, but we have something with us. We've got freedom and deliverance. We've got protection and forgiveness. We've got him above all things. In verse 8, the question of the speaker Changes, okay? There's, if you get into uh, commentary or get into scholastic thought about verse 8, it, it feels like the tone changes. And there's, there's conversations around who is now, quote-unquote, speaking. Some people say that, that it's God that begins to speak. Some people say that it's David uh, who's still just reiterating what God's saying to him. Or some people say now David, after the forgiveness, kind of stands in the place of instruction, to the people of Israel. It doesn't really matter who's speaking because if you believe that God's word is God's word, then it's God speaking through all of it, okay? But it's just interesting to hear the, the change. And you can hear the tone from David's need of forgiveness to instruction on how to live. And ultimately, whether, uh, you know, whoever is speaking, it, it, it really doesn't matter. It's just this forgiveness need. Now we're going to apply it need. Look what it says. Verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which has no understanding, but, be, but must be controlled by the bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. I, I really love the promise in verse 8. Once confession comes and forgiveness comes and restoration comes, God doesn't leave us to figure out life on our own. I will teach you. I will counsel you. I will watch over you. There's an active participant in our life, right? And this is why it's so great in the conversation around who's speaking is so great. Because if this is David speaking now to the Israelites, 
And he's kind of saying, listen, I will watch over you. I will instruct you. I will teach you. He's basically saying, listen, I've been there. I've done that. I've, I've walked what you've been going through. I'm, I'm willing to walk it with you as well. Like, I will go hand in hand with you. This is the role of the church. This is what the church is supposed to do. When, when we're wasting away and when we're heavy and burdened with guilt, then there should be people who step into your life and say, I've been there and done that. Let's do it together. I'll help you through this. The biggest failure, I think, in the church today is our disconnecting from each other. Like, I've talked about it before, saying, like, we live in garage door homes now. Where, where everybody used to live on the front porch and, and, and see each other. Now now we go into the garage, we shut the garage door, and we go inside our house, and then we raise the garage door, and we leave. We don't live in community like we used to live in community. And I think the greatest failure of our church is that we disconnect from each other. If you read things about the early church, they did everything together. They ate together. They, they lived together. They shared in uh, each other's uh, burdens together. They, they collected and, and kind of had this communal lifestyle and they met the needs of each other, all these different things. And now we live in this mindset that is, I'll just figure this out on my own. I'll, I'll get it. I'll, I'll pull myself up from my street. Or, or if they need help, they'll come ask for it. I don't want to intervene. I don't want to, I don't want to stick my nose out. If they need help, they'll ask me. <laughs> like, when do either of those mindsets really work? When, when have you ever been, like, struggling and hurting and wrapped up in sin and stuck in a rut? And when did you ever stop and think, you know what? I think, I think that I am going to let go of all my insecurities, and I'm, I'm going to open myself up in the most vulnerable way possible, and, 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 and I'm going to call somebody within my church, and I'm just going to unload all my problems on them. And they're going to help me. When have we ever thought that way? It doesn't work like that. We need somebody to step up and say, hey, you know what? If, you're, if you need me, I'm here. I'm here to walk this way. I've been there, done that. Had kids, you're at kids' age, and I know how crazy it feels. Our, my marriage has gone through the things, things your marriage has gone through. I know how crazy it feels. I've been there. If you need somebody to talk to, I'm willing to walk it with you. We as a church should be following David's example. If it's David speaking, he's saying, been there, done that. Let me instruct you on what I learned through it. Let me help you through it as well. I'm here for you. And if it's the words of God, it's even better, right? If it's, if it's God speaking, it's God instructing us, God helping us, God teaching us. And we go back last week, we talked about listening to his voice, right? It's, it's just as incredible. And then he says something profound. He says, don't be like the horse or mule that has to be controlled by the bit and bridle. Don't be forced into obedience. Don't, don't be made to do the right thing. Do it joyfully. Do it willing, willfully. Do it, do it in submission to Christ. We've all been there, right? We know, we know what it feels like when your kids do something just because they know they're supposed to do it versus when you force them to do it, right? It's the same thing with us. It's a life of obedience and surrender to God because we want to, not because he's making us. I put in my notes, don't force God to force you. Do it willingly. And the more I thought about this analogy in verse 9, the more I realized that sometimes we need this, right? Sometimes we need the bit and bridle to kind of jerk us out of what we're supposed to be doing to get us on the right track, to point us in the right direction. But as soon as that bridle comes off and our freedom, we begin to use our freedom as an excuse. Excuse of our disobedience. Well, if God really wanted me to, he would, he would tell me. He would pull the bridle back, but we've been unbridled. Or 
We blame God. Well, if he didn't want me to be in this position, he would have stopped me. He would have pulled me back. We're using our freedom as an excuse. Somehow, push it back on him and our disobedience. It doesn't even make sense. Don't be like that. Don't require that. Live for him because we want to. Here's my last thought, and I'm going to wrap it up. We've been looking at this reboot, and we've been trying to get a fresh start and kind of push through for this fall and hear and obey the words of God and get us out of apathy and into action. That's really the whole point of all of this. And the last few verses here in this psalm kind of sum all that up. Verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad you're righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Like life's going to happen. All right? It's just going to come at us. It may be great now, six weeks from now, six months from now, six days from now. You may be right back in another rut. Doesn't change who God is. And I think that's the issue. I think too many of us focus on our rut and not on who God is. Instead of being focused on Him and His love and His protection and provision, we're like the kid on the bicycle with the one pole in the parking lot, and we're so focused on the one pole that we hit it and not, not enjoy the entire free, open parking lot. We focus so much on our rut and how hard life is that we don't focus on how good God is. And we don't see that, that this provision and protection that comes in just following Him and getting ourselves out of the rut and just living in that is so much better than focusing on our rut. And David doesn't ignore the reality of that. Many are the woes of the wicked. Like, life is going to come at you. It's going to come hard. You better be ready. There's lots of distractions. There's lots of things to trip us up. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. It's this protection for those who are trusted. It's an active trusting with an active protection. It's incredible. So what's our response? In light of this protection and provision, the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord and be glad. Not in ourselves, not in our ability to pull ourselves out of the rut, not in our ability to say, look how spiritually deep I am, look how good I am, look how well for God I'm living. So rejoice in the Lord. And go, man, he got me out of that rut. He got me back to where I know I'm supposed to be. I'm now living more on track for him than I ever have before, not because of anything I did, but because of everything that he did. He's the one who provides the reboot. He's the one who allows our lives to be pulled from distance to closeness, from guilt and shame to forgiveness and restoration. He's the one who gives us everything that we need and protects us when life continues to come at us. Church, listen, there's no reason why we wouldn't want him to reboot us. This fall is going to have a lot. We're, we're moving closer and closer to uh, the end of the year. We've got uh, schedules and, and ball games and all these different things that are going on. Family events are starting to get scheduled in, and that brings a whole other layer of panic and, and, and fear for a lot of us. We have an opportunity this morning that I don't want us to pass up. We have an opportunity to allow God to really just kind of recenter us. And our response 
is rejoicing and be glad for what God has done for us. Would you stand with us as TJ comes? I'm going to just pray over us. And the, the invitation is pretty open this morning. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty easy. It's exactly what Psalms 32 said. Call on the Lord while you may be found. We should be doing that today in this moment. Don't pass it up. Don't miss your opportunity for the reboot. Maybe you just need to recenter. Maybe you need to confess and call some sin what it is. Maybe you need to grab somebody and, and work something out. Maybe it's your spouse or a friend or whoever. Maybe you just need to say, God, it's time. Some of us may need to surrender in salvation or church membership or baptism. Whatever it is, this is your opportunity. Don't miss your chance to reboot this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you've done, all that you've given and all that you've provided. And God, today, as we wrap up this thought of the last few weeks of kind of getting back on track, Father, we are going to move forward from here in step with you. God, help us today to just admit and confess, to recognize sin and to walk away from it, to lean into forgiveness that you provide and live our life in the freedom that you give us. God, don't, don't let anybody here this morning confuse that freedom with lawlessness. But God, let us, let us understand that freedom comes grace and mercy and a responsibility to live worthy of the one who gave us the freedom to begin with. So Father, whatever is happening in our hearts this morning, God, I pray that you would help us be obedient to move from apathy to action. God, whether it's confession, whether it's salvation, whether it's repentance, whether it's uh, right relationships being mended, God, whatever it is, we give it to you right now. And we ask that you speak to us and don't let us miss this chance. God, Move in our hearts in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need to come forward, I'll be here. Uh, don't miss this chance. You guys come as TJ sings.